turn in Holy Scripture this evening to the prophecy of Daniel, chapter 4. I'm going to read Daniel, chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar the king, unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs, and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore I made a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. Then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And I told the dream before them, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But at the last, Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And before him I told the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee, and no secret troubleth thee. Tell me the visions of my dream that I have seen, and the interpretation thereof. Thus were the visions of mine head in my bed. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached unto heaven, and the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. The leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all. The beasts of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the boughs thereof, and all flesh was fed of it. I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and a holy one came down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Hew down the tree and cut off his branches, shake off his leaves and scatter his fruit. Let the beasts get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from man's, and let a beast's heart be given unto him, and let seven times pass over him. This matter is by the decree of the watchers, and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basest of men. 
This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now thou, O Belteshazzar, declare the interpretation thereof, for as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation, but thou art able, for the Spirit of the holy gods is in thee. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for one hour, and his thoughts troubled him. The king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, the dream be to them that hate thee, and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. The tree that thou sawest, which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto the heaven, and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, upon whose branches the fowls of the heaven had their habitation. It is thou, O king, that art grown and become strong. For thy greatness is grown and reacheth unto heaven, and thy dominion to the end of the earth. And whereas the king saw a watcher and a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Hew the tree down and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass, in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king, that they shall drive thee from men. And thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven and seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee. After that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness, and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power? and for the honor of my majesty. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men. And he eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers, and his nails like birds' claws. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and my understanding returned unto me, 
and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and He doeth according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand, or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and my brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my Lord sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, pray and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. We're going to specially consider verses 32 to the end. Not going to read that again. And do that in connection with both 17 with verse 17, which I will read. It's virtually repeated in verse 32. But this matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basis of men. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the great King Nebuchadnezzar is again troubled by a dream sent to him by God. He said he was at peace, and he saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Of course, he had good reason to be troubled by that dream. Nebuchadnezzar undoubtedly knew from his previous dreams that it foretold some sort of end for him, his downfall, which likely explains why he called all the wise men before he called in Daniel. Besides that, what the dream foretells is terrible for any man to be cut down and made like unto a beast to be given a beast's heart for seven seasons. And no doubt he was troubled by the inevitability of the matter because it was by the decree of the watchers whom he comes to confess are sent by the Most High, whom the King will acknowledge is the Most High God. Furthermore, it was a dream that Nebuchadnezzar confesses was sent by the Most High God, even as a sign and a wonder. He comes to see that like all signs and wonders, God is revealing Himself. Revealing Himself through this dream and then the fulfilling of that dream. 
The sign in wonder is therefore the sign in wonder of God Himself. That's why He calls it a great and mighty signs and wonders. Like all signs and wonders, the dream is the revelation of God Himself. And furthermore, and more specifically, it is the revelation that God is the Most High God. We read that five times in this chapter. This dream, its interpretation and fulfillment is all about the Most High. Verse 17, verse 24, 25, 32, and verse 35. It comes out once again. The significance of that, of course, is that's the very issue at stake with regard to Nebuchadnezzar himself. This is what he denied. Nebuchadnezzar believes that he is the Most High King. The Most High King because of the greatness of his kingdom. And what he believes is a kingdom that he himself has made that he has done by his own power and his own wisdom. Over against that, God reveals that he is the Most High, and especially reveals that by taking this unbelieving, wicked king and making him to confess the truth of the matter that God is the Most High. We consider tonight the fact Nebuchadnezzar confesses the Most High rules. Nebuchadnezzar confesses the Most High rules. We consider first of all his absolute dominion, secondly his everlasting kingdom, and then finally his merciful judgment. And as we do that, in your own mind, think about and I will try to bring out the great contrast to between how Nebuchadnezzar views himself and the kingdom of men versus the reality of God as the Most High. We begin with the absolute dominion of the Most High God. This, of course, is the great question that this revelation of God is intended to teach and to reveal, to make plain who is the Most High? The answer, obviously, is the Most High is the King whose kingdom is the greatest, whose kingdom encompasses the most people, influences the most. The King whose kingdom influences, protects, and provides shelter and cover for even the beasts of the field. The Most High is the King whose kingdom is absolute. This is the issue, of course, because the answer and confession of Nebuchadnezzar prior to this is, I am the Most High. I, and I alone, 
am the Most High King. It's even how he describes himself at the very beginning, afterwards even. Nebuchadnezzar the King. Unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. And that was true about him. This was true even when he had his dream. Nebuchadnezzar, we know from secular history, had risen almost abruptly to power in the year 605 B.C. when in one year he defeated the two great former powers in the world at that time, the kingdom of Egypt and the kingdom of Assyria. You remember the Assyrians. They were the kingdom that had violently conquered the nation of Israel. The same great king is going to capture Judah in 597. Only eight years later, he's going to destroy Jerusalem in 586. He's going to conquer the whole great nation of the Phoenicians and Syrians after besieging the cities of Tyre and Sidon for 13 years. He's going to put down a final rebellion in Egypt and return back to Babylon. Indeed, the greatest king upon the face of the earth. There is a reason why the image that he had previously dreamed about and that God Himself interpreted began with Nebuchadnezzar at its head. There were, of course, other world powers. There were amazingly powerful and glorious world powers like Egypt and the Assyrians. But the kingdom of Babylon will surpass them all. Through the rule, through the counsel and wisdom, through the practices and laws of this great king, he is going to make Babylon the center of the arts and culture, of wisdom and of knowledge. He spares no expense. There is a reason why the head of that image is gold, brilliant gold, as opposed to all the other successing, successive nations and kings. The greatness of this king is even God's own assessment of him. God sends him a dream. A dream where he is represented and his kingdom is represented as a tree that grows. That is obviously a tree unlike any other tree. It's called strong. A tree whose height, unlike other trees, reaches all the way into heaven. A tree which can be seen, that is a tree that influences, the tree that attracts, the tree that rules over the whole world. It can be seen to the ends of the earth we read. 
Its leaves are fair, green. Its fruit is much. And in that dream, all the animals find protection and shade and comfort. Even the beasts are influenced and cared for by that tree. Indeed, that's a striking feature, too, of the Babylonian kingdom. Read sometimes the prophets, like the prophet Jeremiah, when God is describing Nebuchadnezzar and tells many times how he will rule over even the beasts of the field. I will give the beasts of the field into his hand. Obviously, he had done this in a way unlike any other king. That is why there is a need, a real need for this revelation and why God brings this particular revelation to this particular king. There were, of course, other mighty kings. Other mighty kings who thought they were the greatest, who thought they were the most influential and powerful. But indeed, of Nebuchadnezzar, it could be said that he was ruler of the world. But in so doing, he refuses to confess, acknowledge that God is the Most High. This is nothing new. We saw this earlier when this great king set up that image after he dreamed of an image. He sets up an image and he demands that all bow down and worship. This revelation that God gives, however, is not simply for Nebuchadnezzar's sake. We read that it is for all people, verse 17, to the intent that all the living, all the living under the influence of this world power and this king, all the living well beyond this king and this kingdom may know that the Most High ruleth. This is a revelation for all the subjects of Nebuchadnezzar. They show that they agree with this assessment of Nebuchadnezzar, that they acknowledge him to be the Most High, which is why Nebuchadnezzar sees fit after this to write all the subjects in his kingdom to tell them of his humbling and his confession of the Most High. But don't forget, too, this is recorded in the book of Daniel. Secular history has lost that decree of Nebuchadnezzar. In the world, that decree of Nebuchadnezzar declaring the things we find here in chapter 4 is gone. God records this especially for the benefit of His people. For they were defeated by this great king. This was the great king that had come and destroyed their city, knocked down its walls, burned its temple with fire, stripped them of anything valuable, carting off even the youngest and most promising 
in the land of Judah. Even now, the only members of the kingdom of Judah that prosper, prosper on the shadow of this great tree, are living in Babylon like Daniel. The main thrust of this whole chapter is that the Lord shows that He is the Most High, whose dominion is absolute, whose rule is absolute. That is, He rules over all things, over all kings, over all kingdoms. And He shows that by His rule over this king. This receives the emphasis three times it's mentioned by the watcher as the purpose of God, twice by Nebuchadnezzar himself, verses 24 and 25. This is also the idea of the Most High, that phrase that's repeated again and again. What does it mean when we talk about the Most High? The idea is the greatest the Most High in majesty, the Most High in power, the Most High in influence, the Most High in riches and wealth, the Most High in wisdom, the One who rules over all. God reveals that, of course, in a number of ways. First of all, by His power and authority over Nebuchadnezzar Himself. The demonstration is simple. If by his own acknowledgement, Nebuchadnezzar is the king of kings, if he is the ruler of the world, if he now is the one who rules over the kingdom of men, if God now rules over him, if God now shows power and influence over him, then it is God who is the Most High. But what's amazing here is that God extracts a confession of Nebuchadnezzar, not simply that he rules over himself personally, but over all things. Verse 35, he doth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Nebuchadnezzar had seen a holy one. He evidently and rightly concluded that this holy one was one of many called the watchers, those whom we know to be God's holy angels. And he speaks of them rightly as an army a host, as so does the Scriptures. And he sees that that watcher, and therefore by implication that great army of these mighty angels, God ruled over. Quite a confession. Nebuchadnezzar comes to see not only is it God that rules over him, it is God who set him up it is God who controls him. He comes to see, therefore, that all that he influences, including the beasts and animals of the field, are really in the control of God who has made that tree great and made it grow. 
But this is the Most High who rules even in the heavens. Rules over the watchers. Watchers who take this mighty king and chop him down to the ground. Who turn him into a beast whose decree was absolute. And if God, of course, rules over this army of hosts that can make this king's heart like a beast, that can take away his kingdom and set him up on it again, then, of course, God is the Most High over all men. Nebuchadnezzar confesses that it is God who gives not only him the dream, but gives Daniel the interpretation It is God who transforms him into a beast in an instant. It is God who gives men who are formerly subjects of this great king the authority and power to depose him and take away his throne. It is God who spares his life for seven seasons in the wild, eating like a beast. And then it is God who in an instant restores him back to his sanity, restores his appearance, restores his honor and glory over men when previously that had lost. And of course, the greatest demonstration that God is the Most High is in extracting this confession from this unbelieving and ungodly king. It is this confession that is an amazing display of the absolute dominion of God more than anything else. Notice the confession. It is genuine. It is true. It is accurate. It is a confession that's even prophetic in that God reveals His will through Nebuchadnezzar. It is God who even sees that this is recorded on the pages of Holy Scripture. It is a confession not only that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, but is the King of heaven, and that all should honor and praise Him. Look at that confession. One looks at it and says, could a Christian and the believer give a better confession. It's the truth. Which is why indeed many, if not most, who opine on this passage or preach on it, take the position that Nebuchadnezzar is converted. That Nebuchadnezzar here is preached the Holy Gospel. And that Nebuchadnezzar is making what the book of Romans calls confession unto salvation. That is, this is a confession of faith. But that's not the case. And therein, God shows His dominion in power even more so. This is not a confession of faith. Believing in God through the mediator, Jesus Christ, as Savior from sin and death, And that's evident in the passage itself. It's evident in that this great king 
though he confesses the truth about God, about his absolute dominion, even though this king will bow the knee to this God, because that's what he's doing, nevertheless, this king refuses to worship this God and worship him exclusively. If now God indeed is the Most High, there is no excuse and no justification to worship any other God or to set oneself up as God by having another God. But indeed, Nebuchadnezzar, even after he makes this confession, goes on to say in his decree that not Jehovah God is his God, but Bel, the God of the Babylonians, remains his God. He even takes pride in the fact that the one who gives this dream, although the interpretation thereof comes from God, is named after my God. Besides that, he twice refers to Daniel as having the spirit of the gods. Twice he does that. That's the evidence in the passage itself that this is not a confession of faith, although it's true and genuine, but there is also evidence formerly when God identifies in that image that golden head as Nebuchadnezzar himself is all the proof you need. Don't forget, that head of that image was not simply Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, but Nebuchadnezzar the great king. And what now is the end of that king and that statue of which he is the head? Christ comes in the form of that stone cut out without hands and crushes the entire image, including the head, to powder. And it blows away and it is gone. And then it is the stone that grows and displaces that image in all the earth. Not only does Nebuchadnezzar confess that God is the Most High in the sense that He has absolute dominion over all, over Himself, over dreams, over interpretations, over men, and over angels, over creatures, over beasts, but He also confesses that God is the Most High in the sense that His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. It is quite amazing how often this comes up in the passage, even already in verse 3. When talking about God, how great are His signs and how mighty are His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And His dominion, this absolute dominion, is from generation to generation. That too is quite a confession. You might ask rightly, well how is that 
revealed to Nebuchadnezzar? How did he come to know that? How did he come to conclude that? Those are good questions. We don't really know how God instructed him. We don't really know how God led him to these conclusions. We know that he reasoned them out just like he reasoned out that God was the king of a host in heaven. So he reasoned out and came to understand that God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And he did that based upon his own downfall and demise. He rightly concludes that if God can do this to him, the most powerful man in all the earth, if God can do these things exactly as he said he would, if God could take him down in an instant and then also set him back up, then this God must have a kingdom that never ends, that is from everlasting to everlasting. That's the idea of the confession that he makes also in verse 35 when he says that there is none that can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? That is, there's no one that can stop him. There's no one that can prevent him from accomplishing his will. And he's been doing this and will continue to do this generation after generation after generation. It is therefore a confession that the Most High is a living God. That this living God is immortal. That this living God is not hindered or stopped by death. He is not at all concerned about the passing of men and the passing of generations. If this king has that kind of dominion, then his kingdom, his kingdom will supplant every kingdom. And this king will outlive every king. And this king will come to rule and does rule over all people, nations, and tribes in a sense that Nebuchadnezzar never could. Nebuchadnezzar ruled over the men and women and children of his own time. He's not even going to live that much longer after this. His kingdom's going to come to an end in the time of Daniel himself. But he also comes to see this and to know this by the fact that God put him into power. That's something he must also confess. He confesses that God gives kingdoms to whomsoever He will. Verse 17. He abases those that walk in pride. Verse 37. It was his own pride imagining that he was the great king. That he had gotten him the power and the glory that caused his downfall. But by implication then, it was not he himself at all that had made himself great and strong and powerful. It was God. It was God who had made him great and powerful. No more than a man can make a tree grow. A man can chop down a tree, but a man can't make a tree grow and grow like that. The conclusion is obvious. God 
must be the Most High from everlasting to everlasting because He is the one who sets up all kings and kingdoms in the earth. It is God who in eternity makes decrees and executes them. He points that out too in verse 17. He has a plan. He has a will. He has a purpose. And He carries it out. Now that is instructive for us. Thus the lesson to Nebuchadnezzar. But what about the lesson to us? What we should see is that God reveals this and reveals His absolute dominion as well as the everlasting nature of His kingdom for the purpose of redeeming and saving His people for the grace toward His beloved for our benefit. That's at least one purpose of God in this. Child of God, the one over whom He rules in His grace, the one who knows Him as Father, the one who worships Him, must at least believe everything that Nebuchadnezzar did. Just consider that for a moment. If it's true, and it is, that God can take an unbelieving, unrepentant, idolater such as Nebuchadnezzar, and make him confess this of God, how much more us who have faith. Child of God confesses that the Most High rules over governments, rules over the politics of this world, over the economy, employment, weather, sickness, disease, wars. In particular, He rules over the mightiest of men and the mightiest of nations. Do we believe that? When Nebuchadnezzar comes to see this, he even sees fit to write it, to proclaim it in all the world, over all of his people and all of the nations over which he rules. Do we proclaim that about our God? That he is the Most High. He gives life, he takes it away, he sets up nations. And He takes them down. He rules over all. And there is none that is not under His power. We should also see the truth of the matter with regard to whom Nebuchadnezzar represents. He represents the great kingdom of man. That too is a point made in 17 and later on in 35. That all the living may see that the Most High ruleth over the kingdom of men. See, Nebuchadnezzar is not just any man. And his kingdom is not any kingdom. It's part of a statue. We've learned and are learning that there's a kingdom of men. And over the kingdom of men, there is one that rules. And in the history of the world, it comes and it goes. But it's developing. Growing in its opposition and hatred of God growing in its opposite opposition and hatred of the church and will come to fulfillment as we learn from the Holy Scriptures in a literal worldwide kingdom ruled by one man who rules literally over all the people of the earth, 
over all of their affairs, over all the beasts of the field. And the church lives subject in that kingdom. We must believe who is actually the Most High. Is it Nebuchadnezzar or God? Is it the Antichrist or God's Christ? No matter what it seems, no matter what we've seen, no matter if, like Daniel, we've seen the destruction of Jerusalem, its temple, and all of its worship, so there's no place to worship. The great king has come in, partly out of the purpose of God to save his elect, while at the same time punishing and destroying the church that has gone false. Who is the Most High? These are but pictures of what comes ahead. Exactly because God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, that kingdom must come to an end, no matter how it seems, no matter how it looks, no matter how it appears, that kingdom comes to a spectacular end. And for the same reason, because the king of that kingdom stands in the place of Christ and says, I am your Savior. I am your Deliverer. I am your God. So the real Christ, the real Most High, must come. Must come to make every knee bow to Him and to save His church. But this revelation of God isn't simply for the church's stake and His grace, but it's a revelation of God for all men, so that all men may be without excuse. Men in the church and out of the church, in the world and out of the world, those who claim to be believers and are not. If now, if now, this is what a man who is the Antichrist confesses. Is there anyone who is without excuse when they stand before the Almighty? But there's more yet about this Most High. And we're going to talk about His righteous, merciful judgment. There's one aspect of Nebuchadnezzar's confession that is suspiciously absent. That would be part of the confession if it was a genuine and true confession of faith. And that is the confession that the Most High is a God of mercy and of grace. It's one thing to confess that God is the Most High in power and in dominion. That His kingdom even is an everlasting kingdom. That He is a God who is righteous in judgment. But part of a real confession of God confession of faith, there is always confession of His mercy and His grace. He is merciful in the revelation of His truth, and He is gracious in His judgment of men. That we ought to also lay hold of. Nebuchadnezzar saw that. I do not say God was gracious to Nebuchadnezzar, but Nebuchadnezzar saw who God was. You see, this wasn't simply the revelation that God gives to all men by His providence, what we call general revelation. 
But God comes to Nebuchadnezzar with the gospel. God comes, and that's evident when Daniel comes, with the call to believe and repent. Notice Daniel when he realizes what this dream means and when he gives it, pleads with the king to repent, to put away his iniquities, to show mercy to the poor. Not going to happen. The king is going to reject that call to believe and repent in God. That's the way it is with unbelief. That's especially that makes man without excuse. The mercy and grace of God was evident in God's own revelation itself. Daniel himself sees it. Daniel himself appeals to it that perhaps God would stave off what he had prophesied here if the king would repent. God had brought this revelation to this great king for that purpose so that he is without excuse when God cuts him down and makes him a beast. That grace of God was evident especially in Daniel. That God had preserved Daniel. That God had preserved Daniel and his three friends. That God had given him the interpretation of dreams. That God had given him his gifts. And that God was with Daniel was all evident to this man. And time and time again, he refuses to acknowledge it. Oh yes, every knee will bow and confess that God is God. But none what his own will confess his mercy and his grace because man does not want that kind of God. Man refuses to have that kind of God. This is why Nebuchadnezzar himself lacks mercy and grace in his life. This is really what makes him what verse 17 calls the basest of men. You understand what God is saying there? When in verse 17 we read that God is the one not only who sets up men, but even the basest of men. Some look at that and say, was that Nebuchadnezzar? And the answer is yes, it is. Well, how so? Is it because he came from small beginnings? Is it became he wasn't a noble? No. It has to do with what he saw. Think of what Nebuchadnezzar was given. Think of the treasures and the riches and the wisdom and the power that he was given. Think of the dreams that he was given. Think of how close God is to him in Daniel. And like a beast, he turns from it. This is, of course, the picture of man's rejection of God and the mercy and grace of God in Jesus Christ. This is why the great ruler at the end will not be the Christ, but the Antichrist. Claims to be a Savior. Claims to be a Deliverer. And rules over men. But without grace and without mercy. The grace and mercy that's evident and found only in Jesus Christ. That which delivers from sin the real misery of man. So what's the calling to us in this revelation of God to us tonight? 
Well, first of all, it's to repent. Same message that came to Nebuchadnezzar. Here we are confronted with this Word of God that he has recorded not only for Nebuchadnezzar but us. And we can look at Nebuchadnezzar and we can say, what a fool. And we never look at ourselves. Often do we not confess God is the Most High, that God rules. He rules over me. He rules over everything. And if we don't say it, then our anxiety and our worry belies the fact that we really don't believe it and there ought to be no excuse for that. We need to turn from that. And we need to believe in this God who is the Most High. Who even Nebuchadnezzar has shown us to be the truth that He indeed is the absolute King and ruler over all. That He is the everlasting King who rules over generations, who rules over heaven, who rules over hell, who rules over earth, who rules over men and the beasts and everything else, but especially who we know to be the God of grace, the God who has come to us in our Lord Jesus Christ and promises us that all who believe in Him, all who trust in Him for their salvation are indeed surely saved so that they may belong indeed to His kingdom a kingdom that has continued for generation to generation and will live through the great holocaust of the Antichrist, will be redeemed and saved by Him. Our calling is to confess Him and to believe in Him. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, O Lord, help our unbelief and give us faith to trust in Thee who art the Most High God. Give us true fear and honor of Thee, the living God, to worship Thee and Thee alone. And forgive, O Lord, our sins and iniquity. Forgive even our unbelief and our doubts, O Lord, and strengthen us by that great power and might that is found in our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.